Moments ago, John chapter 1 is a familiar reading to us. We normally associate it with Christmas carol services, and I'm sure over our lifetimes have heard it read at numerous events. But once we kind of get below the surface of this text, we see that there is actually, well, it's actually really quite challenging when you think about a God who comes from heaven, moves to earth, and then the impact that that has on us, on our lives, on how we move on how we talk to others, on how we live with them. So this morning, to facilitate that, to allow that, uh, we have changed the order of service a little bit. We're going to begin, uh, sorry, we're going to move from the sermon into a bit more of a reflective time before our concluding prayers. And that's to allow each of us to think, how does this word that became flesh impact how I live and move when I go back out into the world. Not even when I go back out into the world. How does it affect how I live and move even within these walls? So we're going to begin our second week today looking at the Gospel of John. And I suppose right at the outset and beginning a series, you think, gosh, at the very beginning, there's so much you could say. Uh, we're going to be dealing with the, the, the text thematically. Uh, so this morning, we're thinking about the word becoming flesh. And I don't know if many of you are familiar with a TV program, maybe from some of your childhoods, Jack and Ori, who, which said at the start, are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. Of course, I'm only told this by my mom because I would be far too young to remember such a program. But as we approach John's gospel, what we see is that it's not about sitting comfortably. Actually, from the very outset, this gospel is unsettling. Because as we see the word become flesh, everything changes. Up until now, God was a revelation maybe on stone in a burning bush, then a period of silence, now the cry of a baby, and everything changes. And the word became flesh, and we turned him back into words. Big words, long words, words that maybe require the person at the front to have a degree, words that require stone buildings, words that never really quite capture his essence or presence to be encountered. It's a huge irony then that Jesus, whose words create and form our lives, never wrote a word. At least not a word that was ever preserved. I'm sure you remember that instance in scripture of Jesus etching words into the sand as he deals with one of his many people who have come to speak with him. But those words were washed away with the next rainstorm. But yet, whilst he might never have written a word, we know Jesus to be a man of words because he's the word made flesh. And the word became flesh, and we turned him back into words. But he didn't write. He never spoke on book tours, never had a publisher, never gave a book signing, never dipped pen in a bottle, because language for Jesus was exclusively a matter of voice, audible, hard to take in at times, yet present within earshot. And the word became flesh and we turned him back into words. 
So right at the outset of this series in John, what we're saying is really, in your pews, you need to fasten your seatbelts. Because as we explore John, we will see that this gospel is shocking. This gospel is provocative. This gospel is revolutionary. This gospel is counterintuitive good news that in your moments and in my moments of greatest despair, failure, sin, weakness, losing, failing, frustration, inability, helplessness, or wandering, or falling short, that actually this, this gospel meets us just where we are. The word made flesh meets you in the neighborhood of your life, whether that be your emotional life, your physical life, your going to work life. God meets you where you are. And the word became flesh, and we turned him back into words. When God became flesh, God didn't just visit the earth, but rather he became part of it. As a human being, Jesus needed to eat, drink, and breathe. He was reliant on the earth for his survival. In his becoming flesh, God showed the love he has for creation. Here is not a God who creates the world, then loses interest in it. Here is not a God who just watches from a distance. Instead, here we have the creator entering his creation. Here we have the, the one who was before the world was setting feet upon the earth. He becomes part of the world that he has created, and through his suffering and his death, we see that God identifies himself with the world. As a fully human and fully divine person, Jesus brings heaven to earth. In becoming flesh, the word was able to transform, redeem, reconcile, and renew all flesh. When we see Christ as word become flesh, we realize that he is intimately tied to the earth. He permeates everything in creation at all its different stages. He loves creation so much that he becomes part of it. As a fully human, fully divine being, Jesus becomes a place where God's love can be demonstrated in the world. It shows that God is taking control of the situation. It shows that God is intervening. It is showing that God really is about transformation and reconciliation. Yet, as we read this gospel over the incoming weeks, what we will encounter and what we will witness are dusty, messy, bloody, and unexpected stories about Jesus. Here is a word made flesh who touches lepers who no one else would touch. And here is a word made flesh that hears the cry of blind people who have been told to be quiet. And here is a word made flesh who dines with tax collectors who everyone hated. And here is a word made flesh that talks with the loose Samaritan woman he wasn't supposed to talk with. 
over and over and over again. As we journey through these verses and chapters in the Gospel of John, what we will constantly see is Jesus going to the margins. Jesus going to those in trouble. Jesus going to those who are despised. Jesus interacting and being with those who no one else would touch. Those who are ignored. The weak the lost, those that would be seen as losers in the eyes of the elites of the day. Not only does he move towards them, but he extends himself towards them also. He reaches out to them. He meets them in the places of their pain, helplessness, abandonment, and maybe even failure. Because when this word becomes flesh, when that first cry is heard in that stable in Bethlehem, what we witness is the living, breathing evidence that God wants everyone, everybody to be rescued, renewed, and reconciled. Not just to ourselves, not just to our neighbors, not just to our world, but ultimately to our God. But as we journey through this text, we will see that there are consequences to his teaching. There are consequences to his touching. There are consequences to his dining. There are consequences to his healing. And there are consequences to his helping. Because in his insistence that God is for everybody, Jesus challenges the conventional wisdom of his day that God is only for some. In his standing in solidarity with the poor, he confronted the systems that created those kind of conditions. In his declarations that God can't fit into any one temple, he provoked those who controlled and profited from that very temple, all of which we're familiar with, leads to his arrest, trial, and execution on a cross. Because as Rob L. in his new book, What We Talk About When We Talk About God, says, you cannot bring a fresh new idea or a fresh new word about human flourishing and expect the old established systems of oppression and power to stand passively by. And the word became flesh and we turned him back into words. This morning, the worst thing that we could do is to elevate abstract doctrines and dogmas over the living, breathing, embodied experience of God's love and grace, because that would be going in the wrong direction. Because that would be to take this flesh that left heaven, that came to earth, that screamed and cried and walked amongst us and then died for us, in the wrong direction. Because the embodiment of Jesus is all about moving from idea to skin and bones. It's all about the abstract becoming concrete. It's all about word to flesh. So what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us here as a congregation? Well, if we look at John as a whole, we see that Jesus was always doing a couple of things. He was always challenging. There were people in the society who thought they knew how it should be. There were people who had a monopoly on what life should really be like. 
Yet Jesus comes into the midst of that and says, okay, you're familiar with your Old Testament. I recognize that. I know what it says, but there's actually more going on here than just keeping rules. Do you remember when we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, we, we constantly were saying that Jesus was saying, you have heard it said, but I say. So as we journey through John, let's look out for those that Jesus challenges. And then ask, is Jesus challenging us? But we see that he not only challenged, but that he also converted. Because those he came on into contact with were never left the same. There was always a change, whether it was healing, whether it was supporting, whether it was encouraging, people never went away the same. So he challenges, he converts. When people encounter us, do they go away changed? As we share some of the news that we have heard and the grace that we have experienced, does it make an impact? Does it change people? He challenges he converts, he confronts, but then he's also crucified because this new way of living for some just isn't how it should be done. For some, this isn't what they were expecting when the Messiah would arrive and transform and change things. Here we have a baby born in a stable. Here we have a king coming to you lowly on a donkey. Not the kind of Messiah people were preparing to get themselves behind. So what does it mean for us today as a church to let the word be flesh and remain flesh? Well, social justice is always a complicated issue. But it's one that more and more people are coming to terms with. Because when people encounter this word made flesh, they don't encounter a political cause, they don't encounter a box to tick, they don't encounter a Facebook page to like, but rather they encounter a living, breathing saviour. And so it is in John 1.14 that really the game changes. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And it's these words contained in this one verse that make Christianity different from all the other word religions. Our God hasn't remained remote and unapproachable. Our God hasn't come to us in a letter or a representative or a proclamation, but rather our God comes to us in flesh. The infinite becomes an infant. The eternal becomes able to experience death. I think it's in Philippians chapter 2 that we read these words. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Or as the message says, he had equal status with God, but he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of what that status was, no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. 
He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life, then died a selfless, obedient death, and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh. And we're so used to skipping over it because we're so familiar with it. Yet in the skipping over of it, we often miss the incomprehensibility, the oddness, the almost embarrassing strangeness of this. The word, sorry, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness didn't comprehend it. The world was made through him, but the world didn't know him. He came to his own and his own didn't receive him. John is saying simultaneously two things at the outset of this gospel. Firstly, that the incarnation of the eternal word is an event for which the whole creation up until this point has been tiptoeing towards. The second being that when God did arrive in human form, nobody was quite ready for the event. Jew and Gentile alike find themselves gazing at this strange new messiah and casting anxious glances at one another. And the word became flesh. We're used to words really, aren't we? How many words do we use on a daily basis? We live in a world where we're bombarded with words, magazines, TV, radio. Through the internet, we can probably download more words than we could ever possibly comprehend. And think about all those unread magazines, if you're anything like me, piling up on your floor. Words, words, words. We use words to communicate with us, with each other. But in John's gospel, we witness that this is a different kind of word. A word made flesh. Not a unit of speech, but a way of life. Not somebody coming to deliver complicated and boring lectures on the biological workings of disease in the human body. No, just a savior healing the sick. We don't encounter a word that conducts extensive research projects on social, political, and economic problems and impacts on different sections of the community. Rather, we encounter a word that simply feeds the hungry. We don't encounter a word that kind of wants to tell others about the good news, but just wants to keep a little bit distant. No, we witness a word that sits with them, that sits at their hospital bedside, talks with them, meets with them where they are. The incarnate word does what he says and says what he does. In Christ, word and reality become one. There are no well-intentioned but unkept promises. Just faithfully coming alongside. Just faithfully encouraging. Just faithfully supporting. Just faithfully loving. So this morning, what does it mean for us at the outset of this gospel, not just to be a people with a book, but people living out that book. 
Well, this morning, that's where the rubber's really going to hit the road. That's where heaven's going to hit the ground running. Because God no longer is a tablet of stone or a fire in a burning bush. No longer being declared through the words of the prophets, but now a breathing fellow human being. God among us. God with us. God on the streets. And if this word is to be flesh then our call this morning must be to continue to let it be flesh. Because this is where it gets messy. And this is where it's going to get uncomfortable. And this is where you're going to have to prepare yourself to be open to all sorts of allegations. And this is where you're going to have to risk losing the popularity vote. And this is where you might ruffle some feathers. And this is where some friends might walk away. But this is where people are going to see God. The word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. The word became flesh and was allowed to be flesh. And it all comes back to the very questions and ideas that Jim Wallace was raising here at this very lectern. Was it last week? At the start of a new church year, it feels like it's been longer than seven days, but seven days ago, he was asking these questions. He was telling us that our lives together can be better, that our lives together should be better, and actually that our lives together must be better. Because the things we read on the pages of John's gospel is actually all about coming into relationship. It's a call to move and be in the world around us. The light shines in the darkness and came to shine so that we may have relationship with him, but also then that all our other relationships would be changed. Jim was emphasizing that this living out the gospel, this allowing the word to remain flesh, is actually all about how we live in the world. Jim said that religion is not exempt from the need of conversion from self-interest to neighbor interest. Jim asked us, what if our faith traditions compelled us to do the things that we say actually are important. Jim said that when Christians and their churches live in comfortable places and in comfortable countries, it takes a journey to find the poor. Jim said that the gospel of the kingdom creates disciples with public commitments. Jim said that my advice to young pastors going into the ministry is never be content with what is predictable and never become cynical about change. Don't be satisfied with a church whose lifestyle and behavior you can predict just by looking at the culture around it. The job of the pastor is to lead a faith community whose vocation is to be unpredictable and to offer hope where no one else does. And the word became flesh and the word offered hope and the word in Jesus embodied all of the above. So if it was good enough this morning for our Savior who calls us to do the same, how are we doing? How are we doing as individuals in our homes? How are we doing as individuals in our workplaces? How are we doing collectively as a congregation? How are we doing collectively as a denomination? How are we doing collectively as the Christian church? Are we living the word or are we turning it back into words? Because words are safe. This morning, 
we want to be challenged. This morning, we want to be unsettled. This morning, we want Jesus to tell us what does it mean for us as individuals and as a congregation to be word givers, but also to be word livers in the world around us. So this morning, as we come to conclude, as we come to enter a time of reflection, I encourage you to just sit, listen, wait. Try to hear that still small voice of God at the outset of a new church year. What could he be saying to us? What could he be challenging us to do? Who could he be encouraging us to encounter? And we pray that God would grant us eyes to see what he would have us do, that he would grant us the wisdom to seek his will, that he would grant us us ears to hear in individual conversations how he would have us respond, that he would grant us the arm to embrace all those whom he would embrace, that he would grant us the courage to face hostility. And may we this morning as individuals and a congregation model Jesus bringing light in the darkness, bringing hope to the hopeless, giving names to those who were previously only known by their problems, and embracing those who had long but given up hope on ever being held tenderly again. In a dirty, messy, manger stall, the words of God became a living reality. God put into action. God put into life all the words that he had been saying since the beginning of time. He delivers a promise to be present to us. He gives us his glory and and his grace. He now calls us to allow that word to become incarnated in our lives. The word became flesh. So let us find a body of people for it to remain flesh in. And may that body move and breathe and speak in ways that allow the word to remain flesh today, tomorrow, and forever. Amen. We're going to just, as I said there, enter a period of time to think about maybe what God is saying to us. What's God stirring up in our hearts? How is God calling us to respond? What does it mean to be light in the darkness? So we're going to have first a short poem, then some prayer, then another poem, and a song before we come to our closing praise. So if you feel comfortable, let your eyes remain shut. Maybe just focus on what you've heard. What does it mean for the word to become flesh and the word to become light in the world around us? In the beginning, the people lived in darkness, and the darkness overcame them. Father, so often as we look around our world, we do see darkness. Maybe we don't even need to look as far as around our world to see darkness, but in our own lives sometimes we see darkness. And we witness a darkness that at times can can feel overwhelming. A darkness that we don't know what to do about. Yet we've been reading in your word this morning about how your light shines in that darkness. And the darkness doesn't overcome it. 
So we pray this morning as individuals that you would touch our lives, maybe in those areas where we are feeling dark, that your light would shine, and that even in our darkest moments, we would know that the darkness wouldn't overcome it. We pray too for our country this morning. We remember the summer that has been, even the winter that was as well. Tension on our streets, feeling of insecurity, people under threat, politicians trying to make a better future. Father, in the darkness of those days, would your light shine? Would your word become flesh? Would your love encourage and support? Would your love equip? And Father, we think this morning too about the situation in Syria. We pray for our world leaders, a situation that also seems dark, yet we pray that in the midst of that darkness as we have with all the other examples, that your light would shine, that your darkness, sorry, that your lightness would overcome that darkness. So Father, we pray, help us be an embodiment of your word. Help us shine your light as you have commanded us to do. Take us, change us, mold us, make us from what we are into what you would have us be. I'm going to read Amen. I'm going to read a, another poem this morning that was written um, by a friend in relation to doing um, some work with victims from the Troubles and follows on from the first poem, A Coramila. The people lived in darkness and the darkness overcame them for a while. The people learned to cope, so they spoke little of the things that they had hoped for. They learned to escape, so they took breathing breaks in the bathroom. The people lived in the here and now. They, stay, they staved in the here and now in corners, previously unfound in two up, two down houses. The people learned to walk. The people stood and they survived. The people learned to live without the lives that had been taken. Their only choice was that they stand, so therefore they stood shaken. The people chose their crutches, carefully carved and chosen. A bit of drink, a bit of TV soap, a weekly visit to a friend's house for tea and paracetamol. The people's throats are choked with lives that are not living. And the thing about it is that they have coped with things that they should be troubled with. The people are victorious. They can look you in the eye and size you up. Their hold on life is loose and their embrace is tight. The people stood in darkness and they've become their light. And it's our prayer this morning, Heavenly Father, that you would help us become our light and that you would be our light in our darkness. So we're just going to play a short song. We're going to ask you to think about the words as you hear them sung. You're the God of this city. You're the King of these people. You're the Lord of this nation. You're the light in this darkness. You're the hope to the hopeless. And ask yourself this morning, before we leave, what does it mean to let the word become flesh 
in these situations and circumstances, in our families, on Botanic, in our country, in our nation. Greater things have yet to come and greater things have still to be done here in this city. God grant us the courage. God grant us the strength to be a different people, to move and walk among these streets, to be the human face of God, at all times reflecting your glory and your will for all humanity. May we see what you would have us see. May we hear what you would have us hear. And may we do what you would have us do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.